Hi, my name is Brady Clark, and I'll be reading John 1, 14 this morning. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. All right, you can be seated. Um, we're going to have a guest preacher with us this morning. This is Kendrick Banks. He is a, uh, a great friend and brother and uh, also our church planting coach uh, for Brian and I. We meet with him regularly. We have lots of conversations with him, and um, he cares for us well. He loves us well. We've been encouraged by him. Uh, and so we asked that he would come and uh, worship with us this morning and that he would also uh, preach for us. And so um, I'll let Kendrick uh, introduce a little more of himself uh, if he wants to, and then uh, he's going to get into the final bit of our Advent passage today, full of grace and truth. Thank you, man. I love you, brother. I'm also grateful for you saying, if he wants to, because I don't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm Kendrick, as he said. I'm in Dallas, Texas. I don't know how you feel about Dallas, but I like it. Uh, we are church planting there. We planted a church in Louisiana um, in 2014 with Acts 29. Loved it. It, it, it is what it is. Uh, Soma Family of Churches is another organization that we partner with. They really emphasize living every day as the church and not just Sunday events or programs, but how are we the people, the church, and all of life. And so we leaned heavily into that. So this new church plant, we're going all in. Soma, um, a lot of... Thank you. I almost called you Pumpkin. I've never called you Pumpkin. Thanks, Pumpkin. It's my wife. It's not just some random woman I'm talking to. Uh, anyway, we are um, very grateful to be led by the Spirit of God in Dallas, but we moved there in the midst, or right, right before a pandemic. Uh, so it's been a little bit of a, let's readjust, let's, let's reimagine. How can we love our neighbors more tangibly with all that's going on in the world? And, you know, with that pandemic came a lot of other things. There was all kinds of tensions in our nation. So it got real. Uh, and I'm thankful for it. And it's hard still, but I'm really grateful because what we want to do is a real work. We want to, do, we want to be a real people on a real mission following the Spirit of God. So that's what we're experiencing. And anything I share with Ryan and Brian when we meet. It's just a, like, we're figuring it out too. Let's just do this together. Uh, and so I feel very connected to you, even though I don't really know y'all. Um, I'm thankful for the way that you're here as the people of God in San Angelo. And you're on the same mission in a different part of the world. And I get to share in that by interacting with your leaders. Uh, and so it, is, it really is an honor. I'm not going to just call it an honor because that's what preachers do when they come to preach places. It really is an honor to be with you uh, and, and to join in a series. I love doing that. So let's consider Advent. Unless you have any questions about my introduction. Any questions? Um, Advent, you know, it's a church history thing. You know, I've followed along in the series a little bit, so I know you have some idea of what it's about, just anticipating this coming of the Lord. But the, there's more to be felt about it. So I, I'm kind of, 
you know, trying to change up how we are the church, as I just described. And a big part of that is going from this educationally focused way of doing things to an embodiment of the people of God on the mission of God. That's how scripture describes it. It's not, hey, learn this information and regurgitate it, but it's this, how do we understand these concepts and ideas and Jesus as a person? And then we, the people of God, are the body of Christ. Just as he moved through the world, we, the people of God, are to be moving through the world. So when I think of Advent, like there's this disembodiment, this tension that we feel. This, it's already accomplished, but it's not yet done. So we join with the same longings that the people of God had before Jesus was born. We join into, in those longings for his return. So we can, we can just make it all happy and cheerful and open presence, smile, pretend like everything's okay. Or we can be honest about the struggle the tensions, the pain. And some people know that really well because Christmas season isn't a happy time for you. Some people feel the pain and don't feel like they're allowed to express it. Well, I want to free you up this morning. However good your Christmases have been, whatever the history looks like for you, there's a reality that this world isn't what it should be. We're not yet there. But the message isn't, you better get out there and try and work harder. But let's gather together and let's have a little bit of grief. Because things are very broken here in San Angelo. I don't even have to live here to know it. And they're broken because Jesus hasn't yet come back. But he will. So we don't, we don't ache hopelessly. But we have a hope that won't disappoint. Because he said he will and he will. So it's a Good longing. It's like an expectant mother. There's pain involved. I've never experienced it, but I've heard. And there's labor pain involved. But aren't babies beautiful? Aren't they wonderful? Aren't they worth the wait? So feel with me this morning as we consider this passage in John, as we consider this phrase full of grace and truth, I hope that you know you are these people. This book was written to us, the church, for this mission. I want to read it along with verse 16 and 17 because we'll reference these throughout. So I'm going to read it again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So John was writing to a people who didn't really know this Jesus. They didn't see it. They didn't witness it like he did. He's writing in a way that's very relatable to us because we also haven't seen this Jesus. We've just heard about him. And I think you've emphasized well in the last few weeks, it's not just about knowing him, but experiencing him. They didn't have the opportunity to experience him. So John's trying to lay it out in a way that they can actually understand 
There's this supreme being who's over all creation, who doesn't have to be involved, but willingly stepped down and showed up and dwelled with us. But he's not like any other being you know. He has a glory about him that's unlike anything you've experienced. And the adjective here, full, modifies glory in the sentence, just grammatically. The glory of the Son of God is somehow full of grace and truth. And it's complex. If we just skim over it, we won't even think hard. So we're going to think hard before we feel hard this morning. I don't know if you ever felt hard. We're going to get there, and you'll know it when we get there. I'm just kidding. I have no idea what you feel. Anyway, there's this complexity to it because somehow full of grace doesn't compromise the truth. And full of truth doesn't diminish the grace. If you know truth and you know grace, there should be some conflict there. And we need to tease that out to appreciate the gravity of what this is saying. It's an impossibility, but it's true. The glory of the Son of God is full of grace without compromising truth and full of truth without diminishing grace. The presence of Jesus in the world is light in the darkness. It shines and it casts out darkness and his glory fills the spaces he enters. And the glory has a weight to it. The glory's felt. So it's like if someone famous were to walk into this room right now, you can try to play cool and pretend like you wouldn't be impressed. But if Taylor Swift just walked through the door, there's a way in which her presence is distracting. And y'all would probably stop listening to me. She's just, she doesn't have to say anything, doesn't have to sing a song, but just being in the room, it's felt. It doesn't even have to be someone you like. Like if any president, living president, were to walk in the room right now, even if you didn't vote for him, even if you hate him, if they walked in the room, you'd feel it. Because people also have a glory about them based on their achievements or their, or their popularity or their wealth. There's a presence to us. Jesus had a presence unlike anything else. I was trying to think of another example in case Taylor Swift and presidents didn't do it for you. An athlete, Wayne Gretzky, literally the only hockey player I know. But I know that quote, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. Is he meaningful to you? Okay, so if Wayne Gretzky walked in and you love hockey, you'd be like, it's Wayne Gretzky. And I'd be like, who's that guy? I have no idea what he looks like. I'm sorry. No, I, I know Ryan bashed hockey a little bit, so I wanted to join in. All right. I'm going to get distracted a lot. I just love to engage with people, but we have to go because there's things to say that I need to say. All right. You feel me? When somebody walks in with presence, they have glory. You got it? Okay, let's move on. People are limited, though, so we're broken, we're flawed. Our glory can be used to abuse people, to take advantage of people. In our brokenness, we utilize our glory in inappropriate ways. Jesus isn't like this, but he's still somehow human. So you may have power and use that power to abuse and oppress. You may have fame, and that just by virtue of having fame, it keeps you from relationship. In our experience, the the glory we gain in the world keeps us from being who we're supposed to be. 
I want you to feel the disconnect because Jesus as a human enters in and he has a glory about him that's full of grace and truth that flips those things around that somehow this this individual full of grace and truth can enter into a space and the truth changes it and the grace draws people near and we can enter into a relationship. He doesn't have any bodyguards or anything keeping us up. Just to clarify the terms, absolutely free of deception. That's what the Amplified Version says. Generous inside and out, true from, fo- from start to finish. That's the message after some weirdness about he moved into the neighborhood. You know how the message is. Unfailing love and faithfulness. New Living Translation. Unfailing love and faithfulness is a key term because that's covenant language. That refers to the Old Testament, this Hesed and Emeth, these Old Testament terms, is a couplet that God uses with his people only to say, I'm with you in a particular way that you can't fully comprehend. And it, it's a shadow. This grace and truth is a shadow of that reality. They're joined together with covenant language. There's a loyalty and trustworthiness. And we read here that in this opening of John's gospel, the impossible covenant language that can only be used to describe God's relationship with his people is used to describe a human, Jesus. Grace refers to this free, unearned favor. Ephesians 2 says it's by that grace that we are saved, only by grace. Paul writes a lot about grace because it's a hard concept to really understand or believe It's unbelievable that grace is as freely given as it is. It's favor from God, undeserved by people. John only uses it a few times, and they're all in those three verses, 16 and 17 of this chapter. So it seems significant that he would use that word to describe the glory of Jesus, an embodiment and an epitome of grace. His very presence is the evidence of his love and his loyalty. His very presence in the world, him entering in, is the evidence that that covenant will be fulfilled. And truth is a sense of faithfulness here. It's not just this factual thing. It's a sense of trustworthiness. It's reliability and it's justice. It's not saying I am right. It's saying I'm making things right. The truth that Jesus is, he makes all things right. He's restoring all things He also happens to be correct about everything. But that's not what this word means here. It's not about being right. It's about making things right. And it's important to know it that way because we're fooled into thinking, I can just know more information and be saved. But you have to experience truth to be saved. You have to be in relationships with with truth. And truth is a person. It's Jesus. So this prologue John's laying out for us is, Filled with these terms, it points back at creation in Genesis, but it also points back to Sinai with Moses. Just the terms, word, light, life, testimony, law, glory, grace, truth, are reminiscent of the law being given to Moses. So when we think of truth, we ought to think of the law. And the law is actually a revelation of truth and grace. It's a grace of God. That we receive the law just as Jesus, the word is a revelation of truth and grace, a gift revealing truth, calling us to something beyond ourselves and then making it possible in his grace. The law as a grace of God was given out to us so we would know right from wrong. So we would know what's true. 
Love God, love people. Jesus simplified it for us. Love God, love people. That's true. Truth. That's if your being has encountered truth, your life looks like loving God and loving people. If truth has changed you, your life looks like loving God and loving people. It's not you better love God, you better love people, and shame on you if you don't. It is if you encounter truth by the work of the gospel, as a grace of God, you're changed. The only problem is before Jesus, it wasn't possible. We couldn't do it. So truth enters the world to make the impossible things possible. And then he knows we don't just need the truth, but we need grace upon grace. So in the powerful work of the gospel, we're transformed in our new being. We walk in truth. I'm trying to make it simple because I know Christians really well. I'm one of them. Our tendency is to hear something and say, I can do that. And I want to be sure you know this morning, you can't. You need Jesus. That's why he showed up. And he didn't just show up. He showed up with the truth and the grace that we need to walk in the fullness of life. And as your pastors have demonstrated in the last few weeks, it's that experience with him, that's that knowing him that you need. But it's not just simply saying you know him. It's the hard work of being honest about who you are so that you can be put to death so that you can experience a resurrection in him. He came incarnate to be with us, to experience humanity. The truest human to ever live was Jesus. And he entered a more full relationship with his people in embodied form that he may also experience being human, which was required for him to die. And death was required for him to be resurrected. And we spend our whole lives trying not to die. Not just a physical death, but spiritual, emotional. We cling to our ability to get truth right. We don't need grace. We just try harder to get truth right. But he so clearly, full of grace and truth, walked the path we're supposed to walk, told us to pick up our cross and follow him. This last term in the phrase that we didn't talk about is full. Full here means full, as in not empty. Not partially full, but all the way completely maxed out full. And notice it's full of grace and truth, not or truth. Grace without truth is insufficient. It's a freedom that's unhinged. It's skydiving without a parachute or racing down a mountain with no brakes and no guardrails. It's, it's disregarding the law. It's disregarding truth, its purpose, and its consequences because, you know, grace, I can do whatever I want. It's foolish. It's naive. Grace without truth is damaging to the church. Truth without grace is self-righteousness. It's anxious, it's demanding, it's shaming, it's condemning, it's controlling, it's exhausting. Truth without grace, you know the truth without grace people in your life. Because they'll make sure you know you're not good enough. It never rests. Pride increases with every success. And shame mounts, toxic shame mounts on you with every failure. 
if you're a truth without grace kind of person. Grace is loving and kind. Truth is loyal and strong. We need both. It's grace that makes truth accessible, and it's by grace that we place our faith in the truth. Truth is a person we experience, but we only get to him by grace. Truth demands obedience and justice. It has to be made right. And grace freely gives favor regardless of your ability to obey. You see, you sense the paradox. How do they coexist? The answer is Jesus. Fully and truly God and human and full of grace and truth. Verse 17 said, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth comes through Jesus. How do we get grace and truth? I know you know the answer. I just told you. Through Jesus. Not striving hard to follow the law. We get it through Jesus. But let me be clear. I don't think this is a contradictory statement. Some translations say, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I think it's more true to say, and in the same way, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Because the law was a grace. Thank God we know what sin is. But it was also truth. We needed it to be embodied, though. Because we couldn't figure it out. That's what the entire Old Testament is. God had a design, a plan in the garden. They sinned. He still had a plan. It was always the plan. He promises them a savior. He chooses a family in Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless this family to bless all people. You will get this. He knows we'll get it because he knows how it's going to end. But we don't get it. So we're still trying to figure it out. A lot of screw-ups go on here. Abraham, Abraham even makes tons of mistakes. Eventually, God says, here's a picture of what it's going to look like. And Moses delivers the people of God from oppression Praise God, we get an image of it. This is what it's going to feel like to be freed from the slavery that we can't get out of. And then we spiral back into some things. We think we need a king. Kings aren't good enough down here, but we want it. We want one, so we get one. And then there's all kinds of corruption. These kings don't know how to lead. We go back into exile, into, into slavery and oppression. God goes silent, but he still has a plan. The promises have not ceased. The prophets keep saying, repent, believe, walk in truth. Here's the law. Remember the law. Keep it with you. But it's about resting in God, who's the only one who can accomplish it. The, the whole theme of the whole thing, it really does center around Sabbath. God wants us to rest in him. He wants us to trust him. But the people of God throughout history have always been striving and fighting to figure out how do we please God. And so then the Pharisees come around. These lawmakers start making more laws, putting a fence around the law. We can do this. I know we can do it. Let's try harder. We'll put laws around the law so we'll stay far from breaking those laws. Don't even break these laws. Those are truth without grace people. Because we don't get it. We can't believe it. How could he love us? How could God care about us? We know us. And so he says, let me make it clear. And Jesus puts on flesh, steps into the mess, experiences the suffering and the pain and the striving. He enters the space. If you're an empathetic person, you know how hard it is to be around people you know are suffering. You feel it. They don't have to say anything. You feel it. That's a glimpse at what it was like for Jesus to be here with us. 
carried with him the pain that you feel. He knows it. He's demonstrating what it's like to be full of grace and truth. And and he reaches this climax of the cross where, where grace and truth meet. And they're on display for all to see. He's accomplishing something. The truth is we deserve the wrath and the condemnation. So he took it on the cross. That's truth. That's justice. And the grace is we don't deserve to belong to him in eternity, to have him as a savior, to enjoy the sweetness of every moment that's sweet, and even to endure the difficult moments. We don't deserve to endure them. We deserve death. But in that endurance, by his grace, we're made stronger. Things are clearer. We, that's where we gain, Romans 5 says, that's where we gain that hope that doesn't disappoint through enduring the suffering. So Jesus shows up full of grace. He could have put on flesh to judge and execute punishment that we deserve, but he didn't. He spent his time among those on the margins. He went to the people who were far from, who, far from getting it right, and he dwelled with them with unimaginable compassion. He delivered healing and freedom and restoration because he's full of grace. But he also shows up full of truth to correct and rebuke the religious leaders, the liars and the hypocrites. He warns of condemnation for sinners if there's not repentance. He actually requires more of us than the law ever required. He makes it impossible. He makes the impossibility clear. He says, look, you are already failing. If you even look with lust, that's adultery. If you even hate, that's murder. He makes it more impossible. And then he says, I need you to actually give up everything. I want you to lay down your life. I want you to die for this because he knows the only way to resurrection is through death. These are not things we want to do. So we continue to resist. And I'm really, I'm really wanting all of us to just come together and say, wait, all we have to do is just sit down, take a breath, and die already? The tension you feel, the fear you're feeling right now is the resistance to the death. The, no, he can't be right. i got to try harder. I need to study more. i got to get more right. That tension you're feeling is the resistance to death. You don't have to believe me, but John's trying to make it clear for us. The truth himself, full of grace, goes to the cross taking the punishment like a humble servant, even unto death. And truth calls us deeper. Grace makes it attainable. Truth calls us higher. Grace lifts us up. By grace we're saved, and the truth sets us free. So now for us, what does this look like for us? I mentioned grace people and truth people. You don't, I don't know if you're self-assessing. Which one am I? It's a personality test. As followers of Jesus, you know, we get stuck in between. That's the truth. We kind of oscillate back and forth. But, but it's probably true that you're more one than the other. So let me try to help you out. Uh, there's, there's this sense in which we think, I've got to be more disciplined and devoted, stronger accountability. I've got to study more. That's truth speaking. And then there's others who want to say, well, no, it's about dependence. Uh, it's about demonstrating grace to other people. It's, it, that's where real holiness lies. I've got to be more generous. I got to be more open. I got to invite more people in. 
and you know, who cares about discipline and theology? Like, it's just about, hey, let's just live our lives. I'll ignore your sin, you ignore mine. Like, that's grace, people. That's a little too harsh on grace, I'm sorry. But it's true. We feel really free. I'm one of those people, that's why I'm like, forget, I'm just kidding. Okay, quit joking. We need both, grace and truth. So we need this passion and compassion, a conviction and a a chill out a little bit. We need the energy to move forward and an empathy to slow down. To know all things are permissible. Paul meant that when he wrote it. All things are permissible. You can do whatever you want. That's grace. But not everything is beneficial. There's some reins on this. There's some wisdom that we need. You know what happens when you only paddle on one side of a boat? Do you know? You just go in circles. So here's an illustration for you. Grace, truth. Grace, truth. And then sometimes the wind's blowing and things get crazy. You're overwhelmed. You don't know what to do. And maybe you just need a grace, grace, grace. Maybe you need that sometimes. Currents change. Sometimes you're disoriented. You don't know which way to go. You're confused. You're believing lies and you need truth, truth, truth. Maybe that's the case. But the only way to actually go forward is to have both grace and truth. We need to keep moving this way. And none of you are Jesus. I don't know if I ruined that for you. Nobody in here is Jesus. None of you, none of us are full of grace and truth. We need one another. Together we are the body of Christ. And he's the head of the church. So it's okay that you may lean more grace or more truth. Don't hate your brother and sister about it. We don't need to argue about which more important. We need both to move forward as the people of God on this mission. So grace without truth, people, hear me. You ought to be a person of grace. But if you lack truth, you will be too passive for this. You will be taken advantage of. You will be lonely. You're going to need truth, people, in your life. Write this on your mirror. Niceness is not a fruit of the Spirit. It's just not. People probably like you because you're nice, but they don't really know you. You're being whatever you think they want you to be because you don't want to stir the waters. You don't want to enter into the conflict. So you just keep assimilating to whatever people expect you to be. You let them be themselves without ever calling them to anything. And you're probably a, a great friend to people, but nobody's your friend. This may be hitting hard for some people, but this is grace without truth. We need truth. You are meant to enter into relationship. We need that grace. Praise God for your presence. But if you settle for being whatever people want you to be, you'll never be yourself. You're never going to know yourself. And you might help people feel comfortable being themselves, but you're not going to call them to be who they're meant to be. You need truth for that. And truth without grace, people, I can be harder on you because Jesus was. That's a little joke. You're a jerk sometimes. People don't usually like you because they're afraid you, don't, you won't accept them as they are. All, you think you're loving people, but you just want them to change. And that's what they feel. They're never good enough for you. You, I believe you care about them. 
I believe the reason you want them to change is because you want what's best for them and you know the truth is best. But they don't feel loved by you. And that's a problem. You need grace for that. You're hurting people with your tough love. But you do bring energy and you bring healthy anger that helps us fight against oppression and injustice. We need you in this body. People may see you as courageous or intimidating. People may admire you, but they stay far from you. And you end up lonely too. Grace without truth people just want to belong, disregarding the boundaries of personal limits. Truth without grace people just want to be right, even if it means you hate them. Am I wrong though? Am I wrong though? You're annoying. (laughs) Truth people can be loyal to their cause, but without grace, they can't be loyal to people. Grace people can be loyal to people, but without truth, they can't know themselves or their convictions. Fear stands in the way for all of us. Fear under the guise of wisdom. Grace people think they're the wisest. Truth people think they're the wisest. But we're all afraid. We're afraid of shame. We're afraid of being exposed. We don't, people to, we don't want people to know we really don't know. Jesus is saying, I know you don't know. So I showed up with grace and truth maxed out. He's got enough for all of us. If fear hinders our relationship, it's because truth people are judgmental and intolerant of mistakes, and people make a lot of mistakes. And grace people are conflict avoidant, dishonest, and untrustworthy. Because you don't know who they really are. I know you don't want to be these people. We want to be good. But we're broken. And we need a savior. So here's your hope. Jesus shows up so that we can surrender to him. The truth is a miracle is required for this. And he brings it. You may identify one way or the other or say, I think I'm a little bit of both of those. That's probably because you're self-aware and you know you need both. So you're trying to lie over here and lie over here, swinging back and forth. I know I'm making fun of people a lot, but I'm one of you. We need Jesus. So the miracle shows up. The word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son of God, the father, full of grace and truth. We have a God who delivers grace to us through his truth and justice. When we surrender to him, we find it. When we lay down our lives, we find it. His glorious presence, full of grace and truth, fills us up, unites us together. And then, not merely individual, but as a people, we then incarnate Jesus in the spaces we enter as the body of Christ. I don't know if that sounds weird to you, but that's solid theology. Jesus wants us to live that way. Not individualistic thinking, I need more Bible studies so I can know more information, so I can have more truth, so I know that I'm safe. And not free to do whatever you want to do, regardless of what people live, how how they live. you got to call them to something. But we do that through experiencing relationship just like Jesus did. He didn't show up and say, hey, Matthew, shame on you for taking these taxes. He said, Come follow me. He didn't say, Peter, what are you doing out here fishing? There's greater purpose for you. you. You're wasting your time just working. No, he said, hey, come follow me. All we are to be 
in the cities we live in are, is like Jesus. Dependent on him, his spirit filling us, each gifted individually to contribute to the body of Christ so that we can leave this space, go out into those and say, hey, come follow us. You belong here. Not, do you measure up first? Do you believe the right truth? Are you a gracious enough person? Just come follow us. And we trust the Spirit of God. Through relationship and experience with the truth to transform lives. That our friends might become family and then enter into this mission with us. We're on the same mission as Jesus. Some of you prone to truth. Some of you prone to grace. We just need to hold hands. Verse 16, for, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. That's what we need. It's evident the world still needs grace and truth, and that's why he sent us out into it. I want to close with this quote. It's kind of a long quote. N.T. Wright. It's not going to be on the screen, but I want you to just try to listen. If it helps to close your eyes, hear this. It's, it's like N.T. Wright was in this sermon series. And he just needed, he wrote exactly what I needed to say this morning. I don't know. It's a gift of God. I just found it on the internet. So let's receive it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the mystery which lies at the heart of the Christian faith and life. Mission and ministry. The mystery. That the one true and living God should pour out his very self into created flesh. That the playwright would, would come down on stage and take the leading part because nobody else could play it. And that God in human flesh theme isn't a flash in the pan, a one-off experiment. When the word made flesh accomplishes his work of glory, love, and passion... He pours out his own spirit on his followers that we too can become word made flesh presence. Christmas, in other words, isn't supposed to be just a truth about Jesus. It's supposed to be a truth about us in utter dependence on Jesus. Christmas isn't a spectator sport. It's an invitation. When grace happens, truth happens. And in the baby in the manger, we see them both happening. We see them both married forever. In the word made flesh, we gaze upon the glory, not just of the living God coming in to save us in love through a tiny baby. But we see God's design for the whole world. Part of the point of Christmas is that this marriage of heaven and earth, of grace and truth, has now begun and isn't going to stop until it's complete. That's us, church. Praise God for Christmas, this yearly reminder that Jesus showed up to be with us and to make a way for us to carry his fullness into all the earth. Coincidentally, not coincidence, it's the very thing God told Adam and Eve to do. Fill the world 
with my glory. His mission continues. And Jesus made it possible. And to celebrate that weekly, we share in communion. We're going to do that this morning. If you're a member here, you know the drill. Communion is around the room. You're free to get that on your own. If you're not here, just follow the people in line. You'll figure it out. I want to pray for us and ask the Lord to instill these things in our heart in a way that will bring us into a fuller relationship with him. And then you're free to take communion. Lord, I thank you for the body and blood of Jesus broken and poured out. I thank you for this regular meal we shared in. Would you help us to honor it? Lord, if anyone here is living in sin, would you, by the sweetness of your grace and mercy, bring conviction and freedom? Lord, if any here don't know you, whether they've been going through the motions or this is the first time to hear the gospel, would you bring them to life and welcome them in to share in this meal? Lord, I praise you for grace and truth. Lord, I I hope that your word went out this morning on ears that can hear, that your gospel was planted in fertile soil, but I trust you with it, Jesus. Spirit, as we share in this, let it not be this routine thing, but awaken in us new life again and again, that we would walk more and more fully in what you're calling us to. I pray for this church. Praise you for the opportunity to invest and connect and share in the joys and grieve the grief. Lord, I ask for your grace to abound, for a greater sense of unity where there's disunity, a greater sense of hope where there's discouragement, a true fear of God over the fears of man and the fears that would tempt us to control circumstances or manipulate people, Lord, that we would fully surrender. Lord, pray for the people of Redeemer San Angelo to fully surrender to you and experience the sweetness of that terrifying leap because I know you'll catch them. God, let it be that the people in this room and those not even here today would love Jesus so much that that love would overflow into the streets of this city, that more and more people would come to worship Jesus as king, that I could return for a celebration of how your spirit has blown through this city and dramatically changed things because your grace and your truth is so full in this space, it can't be contained. All glory is yours. So be glorified in all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.